Hello and welcome to the Seems Legit Podcast, hosted by your favorite craft beer drinking, whiskey sipping, bourbon appreciating, sushi eating, steak craving, speedo wearing, tell like it is, poker playing guitarist, the dude himself, the dude Sonny D. I want to thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. If you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sonny D. All right, so it's been kind of an interesting season so far uh, in the NHL. Haven't really done much uh, in ways of talking about hockey lately, so I figured let's uh, do a little bit of hockey talk in this episode. Um, the big and most interesting thing that has happened lately is um, Gerard Gallant um, being let go or relieved of his duties um, by the Vegas Golden Knights and being replaced by divisional rival, uh, a former coach, uh, Peter DeBauer. Uh, in a move that was really shocking, considering the way that this Pacific Division has played out. And I've just got the uh, standings in front of me right now. And Arizona is now the top team in that division with 57 points. Um, But the cool thing about this is Vegas is just three points behind Arizona for the division lead. So any of these teams goes plus two, which in all honesty isn't that difficult to do when looking at how they've each played in the last 10 games. Uh, None of them performing overly uh, stellar, uh, with the Arizona Coyotes actually in the last 10 being 5-4-1. Edmonton's been the next best, or no, sorry, the best record in the last 10 games, I apologize, has been Vancouver, who has crept in there, um, and essentially going plus one, on everybody uh, there with seven wins and three losses. So they've gotten 14 points out of a possible a 20. And you look kind of at the division leaders, they've done kind of just what they've needed to do to stay that differential ahead. Um, going 5-4-1 and one with the, uh, who are the Arizona Coyotes. Edmonton and Calgary, of course, didn't make up any ground um, really to each other because they both, well, actually Edmonton pulled ahead or I guess kind of caught up a little bit there going 6-3-1. and one. But nonetheless, that division is still wide open. Uh, it's really a five-team race for three spots. And, I mean, looking up now at the Central, I mean, yeah, you could. it's going to be an interesting down-to-the-wire kind of playoff run. I don't know. I think you actually might see a divisional parity where four teams from each division do make it into the playoffs this year uh, out of the Western Conference. And uh, usually that's that stacked Central division, but... I guess everybody's kind of just been a little kind of up and down all year. Uh, The St. Louis Blues, though, are are nicely running away with the uh, Western Conference. Uh, So who knows there, a possible repeat or at least another deep run for them. Uh, How long they can ride Jordan Binnington these first couple years is going to be a big thing. And, I mean, it kind of reminds me of Matt Murray, right? His first two years, he wins Cups in Pittsburgh. So we'll see how this plays out. Uh, But nonetheless... Uh, they are ahead in their division by 10 points and have a very comfortable uh, lead there. Um, and going 6-2-2, two, and two, again, that doing what's enough, doing that just enough um, to maintain uh, pace with Dallas, who's in second right now in that division, who went 7-3-0, and oh, but they still got the 14 points, uh, both of them. So it'll be interesting on the wire there. Uh, Dallas is one of those teams, right, that like they do have a lot of talent on their lineup and they keep adding secondary, cheaper, kind of aged talent, so to speak. But, I mean, why shouldn't Dallas be doing well? Maybe Ben Bishop has finally found his own. Uh, we'll see. Dallas could be a very interesting story there in the Western Conference, going 27-15-4. Uh, and four. 
I'm not sure who's their coach. But nonetheless, yeah, it's been a crazy uh, little time now for coaches and management. Ray Shiro let go in New Jersey uh, after pulling off the Taylor Hall trade. Um, I think essentially saying, all right, we're kind of in a rebuild. And, I mean, there was talk, I guess, where P.K. Subban denied that he's asking or has asked for a trade from the Devils. But, I mean, interesting times there and just all coaches being gone. I think they're saying that Joel Quenville, even though he's only been on the job for 55 days has technically been um, the 18th longest tenured coach in the NHL right now just because of all of these uh, firings everywhere. Now, some of them we did know some coaches were going to be on the hot seat. Um, as I had said in Toronto with Babcock, here in Winnipeg, Paul Maurice. Um, but then there's kind of other explanations going on out there with Paul Maurice. I mean, they've done – they're keeping pace uh, in the West, uh, fourth in the Central – uh, given that they did have some injury, and Brian Little, I think, is still out. Uh, there's the uncertainty regarding Dustin Bufflin. And this was a team, the Jets, that I said had taken, in my opinion, a couple of steps back uh, from the team that had made it to the Western Final a couple of years ago. And as such, I mean, they, the fact that they're hanging in there is a testament, I think, almost to Paul Maurice. And the fact that he hasn't signed that extension leads more to those rumors that he may be headed to Seattle when his contract expires. So we're going to see how that plays out there. But Winnipeg's still keeping pace there. But I said he might, he was one of those ones. Um, but yeah, I mean, I did not expect Gerard Gallant's job. And from what I'm hearing everywhere, he was quite popular with the players. And it'll be interesting now with Peter DeBauer coming in. I mean, the rivalry there is still hot between San Jose and Vegas. So sometimes you kind of have to wonder... I mean, how involved are the players versus how involved should they be in in these process in this process? I mean, when you think about bringing in a guy who's coached a team that was your main rival and has said some things, and you know things have been done, whatever it is, it's tough, right? It I can't. It's imagine it being easy. It's no different than, you know, when you kind of bury the hatchet with someone you didn't get along with. You're not going to quickly jump to being like, oh, hey, they're the greatest person ever. Now you're just like, all right, you know what? That's just a fucking stressor gone. See you later. And I think here, uh, catching the players by surprise, and maybe it is um, to hold a little bit of accountability to the players being like, look, a first-rate coach lost their job because of inconsistent play from you guys. Now, Vegas does have some structural flaws, as I've said before, especially in net. There's been no clear successor that has emerged uh, from Marc-Andre Fleury. So you have to kind of wonder now with some of the roster moves they've made in the past and how they view their chances of making the playoffs this year uh, in that tight wildcard race. Um, and I'm actually going to pull up the wildcard version of the uh, standings here. So we can see, yeah, they're not even, right now, they are behind Winnipeg in the standings technically, I guess, due to a tiebreaker. So when you look at that, I mean, it is to hold some people accountable. You look at Nashville, right? Um, Peter Laviolette losing his job there uh, to a very inconsistent uh, Nashville team and very underachieving Nashville team. In my opinion, they have been uh, the underachieving story of this season. Uh, some people might say it's, you know, Toronto or Montreal, but Nashville's a team that was, for the longest time, even as close as last year, was considered the bar in the Western Conference. And, I mean, yeah, they made a couple of moves, losing P.K. Subban, which was which was a weird, weird trade, uh, which I still don't quite understand. Had they kept P.K. Subban, I mean, this is still a team that arguably 
is the bar in the Western Conference. Now, granted, they do have an aging Pecorine in net. Um, UK, or UC Soros is kind of waiting in the wings there to take over and kind of goes back to that smaller, more athletic goalie. And I mean, all goalies now are super athletic. Um, but you know that kind of having to be smaller but nimble because I think UC Soros is only one of two goalies in the NHL that's on an active roster that's under six feet tall. Uh, so this goes to show you how even the goal, like the goaltending standard now, just players are bigger now. Like when they say that, you know, these guys are getting big, they're getting big. Like really big. So when I would have been growing up, to put this into perspective... Like, I would have kind of been exactly that kind of Sidney Crosby-ish kind of time would have been my time growing up. And you see there how the players got bigger. And even now, like, these guys are getting big. The average 6'2", 6'3". Like, back in my day, 6'2 is considered a big power forward. Holy smokes, they got a guy that's 6'2 on their team. Now it's like everybody is fucking 2 and, I mean, these are big, big guys now playing a sport, and they're better athletes now than they've ever been. Uh, so, anyway, yeah, we do have a situation here where where you kind of have an undersized player needing to take over such a vital role. Um, as the league gets bigger, I mean, UC Soros and Yaroslav Halak, I think, are the two goalies. Like, those are small guys in a league now, especially when it comes to goalies. When you have... In Dallas, six foot eight Ben Bishop, six foot eight. That's like LeBron James in net for the Dallas Stars. Like that's crazy. Pecorino is something like six seven. Like LeBron James is in net tonight. You know, starting in goal. Like that's the size of these guys now. So anyway, um, like Nashville's just been such a huge underachieving story. When you look at like Toronto and Montreal, you kind of look at some teams that did have some big fatal flaw structure, you know, um, here with Montreal, I mean, they don't have any clear cut scoring. Like they don't have top rate scores in terms of when you hear their top line and, you know, this is their big three or this is their big two. It doesn't strike fear into the hearts of their opponents like some of these other teams do. And I mean, especially as you have other teams that now have their superstars really coming into their own. Sebastian Ajo in Carolina, for instance. Jack Eichel in Buffalo. I mean, you're having some teams here now who are just having these stars of tomorrow emerge. Alexander Barkov in Florida. Uh, I mean, Jonathan Huberto. You know, you have all these guys that are out there. So Montreal had this fall in terms of, in my opinion, right out the back, no premier offensive scoring like threat. Secondly, I mean, I think they started the season with Shea Weber on the sidelines. Was this this season or last year? But nonetheless, I mean, your top defensemen's now kind of on the back end of their career. Carey Price's best... I mean, goalies have a different shelf life. Um, and I mean, as goalies take care of themselves and you kind of stay in shape. And on top of that, like you can see how careers can be prolonged. And, I mean, Marty Broder started that trend. Then you went to Roberto Luongo, I think only retired last year and was already over 40 years old and was a number one goalie in the league. Um, you're just seeing this longevity now, too, in players. So, and I mean, that that's a testament to how far we've come in terms of nutrition and the science of the sport now that we're, that 
athletes are having these careers prolonged. I think when you look at in the long term, breaking numbers like Gretzky's numbers um, for career points, like that's what's going to play the factor in it is going to be the longevity that this generation and the next generation is going to get by taking care of themselves that weren't available during that era. You know, and I mean, it's it's just even as you look at kind of like Gretzky had become a celebrity. You know, he was a breakthrough, a, you know, a breakout celebrity from the sport. He had transcended the sport. It's tough now because of Gretzky to have another hockey player that's necessarily going to do that. So until that happens, you're going to see these players kind of wanting to stay in their careers more because the after-career opportunities aren't going to be the same necessarily. So, I mean, Crosby might be the next one. Truthfully, he might be. I don't know that he's at the same crossover appeal that Gretzky did in mainstream celebrity status. Uh, but, I mean, maybe he might be the next one. So that's why we're, players are going to keep playing longer. You make more money for longer. As long as you can stay relevant. And that's what's creating a logjam, right? Which, in a way, kind of makes now subsequent leagues, their products, potentially better. You know, you're going to have the AHL that's going to drastically benefit now from better talent because of this log jamming effect. So that also kind of has some trickle-down benefits, in a way, is, as from a fan's perspective, if you are an AHL fan, and I mean, up until this year, I'd had my tickets for my beloved Manitoba Moose. Um, but this year, you know, just decided it wasn't worth it. I wasn't having the time. I wouldn't have the time to go to games. So as such, just, you know, and Winnipeg winters are fucking cold. No matter what anybody tells you, they are fucking cold. So, I mean, going out in those winters now is just becoming more and more discouraging. So it's one of those things where in a way I do miss the tickets, um, but it's kind of worked out for the better, uh, in the long run. So it is what it is. But for those of you that are fans and do have tickets to the moose and any of your AHL affiliates, now you're going to see like that product's going to get better. So that in turn is a bit of a benefit as well. But nonetheless, Montreal is in a transition stage where they are kind of overachieving in my opinion. So they weren't as disappointing. What's a little disappointing though is to see, again, a guy's three points out of first place in his division and uh, fighting for a wild card spot. It, and here he is getting his uh, losing his job and Claude Julien in Montreal. I mean, they've tanked. They've just been awful. Uh, lately and again his job seems you know secure Mark Bergevin even their GM and I don't wish people to lose their jobs it's just this is what we do now we we, we talk about these things uh, but I mean when you look at it, just craziness that's happening in the NHL um, what's amazing too is Pittsburgh how they've stuck in there they just got Crosby back fuck he looks good uh, I'm going to miss that. I think that's the thing. I'm going to miss my generation, like my kind of grow up coming of age generation that took me from early adulthood into now, which was that Crosby Ovechkin era. Like I got to be an adult and a young adult in that era of hockey. Like that's so cool in a way to see that. Uh, but anyway, uh, they look good. Eight, one and one in their last 10 games. They're making up some ground on Washington, Washington. Who's, I mean, still managed to be pacing the Eastern conference at 67 points, uh, with a game in hand on Boston, uh, for that overall Eastern conference lead. So I'm, it's crazy. And if they do hold on, they would get the Philadelphia Flyers in the first round, which is a very winnable matchup for them, uh, forcing Boston to face Carolina. And then of course, forcing the dreaded Tampa Bay, uh, Toronto, uh, first round matchup. But what's interesting there is that cushion 
that Atlantic division has been relatively weak. As such, I think the next team in that division would be the Buffalo Sabres at 49 points. So still five points, or no, seven points behind Toronto. So just crazy kind of what's going on there. Um, If I'm going to make some predictions right now in terms of things, I do like that Atlantic division to finish kind of the way it is. Unless Tampa Bay can really get hot and Boston really starts to choke, um, I do think that's a situation where uh, Boston comes first, then followed by Tampa, by followed by Toronto. The Met, I do think it's going to be the same three that are going to battle it out there as well or get the divisional spots. Um, Washington, Pittsburgh, New York. I think where Washington, where New York and Pittsburgh finish could um, waver a little bit. Uh, and I mean, in the wild card there, who thought Columbus was going to be fighting for a wild card spot? Uh, again, a team that if they get hot and can stay hot and stay consistent, Buffalo, they can get going. They could sneak in there, but there's two, there's other teams that are just a little bit better than them and have that kind of breathing room, so to speak on them. So I would say there, we've got a situation where I don't think, I think it's too little too late if Buffalo were to try and climb, uh, I, it's too rough for me to call wildcard teams uh, in the East. In the West, uh, I think if the Winnipeg Jets get go, I mean, I'm shocked that I'm even having this conversation because I did not think Winnipeg would be doing as well as they are. Uh, but I think that the divisional is um, representatives out of the Central kind of are going to follow in that order. St. Louis is, is going to win that division. Uh, that division has not looked as strong as I thought it would, or maybe it has. I just there's a parity now in that division. Uh, but St. Louis will win that one. I do think Dallas and Colorado will battle it out for the two and three spots, respectively, uh, in the Pacific. Uh, I'm shocked Arizona's in first place in the Pacific. I did not see that one coming. Uh, but I think Vegas will leapfrog. They could get If they get going, they get that home crowd behind them. I do see Vegas pulling off the Pacific Division, uh, followed by Edmonton and Arizona, actually. I think Calgary be that one battling for a wildcard spot, which... I mean, could go to any one of three teams, truthfully. Uh, Calgary, Vancouver, or Winnipeg. I do think that would be the ma- the kind of the three teams battling for that wildcard spot. And that's where trade deadline kind of could get interesting this year, uh, especially once Winnipeg has an idea what's going on with Dustin Bufflin. Uh, it could allow them to maybe make a move. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but, I mean, there's other teams, too, that are just dreadfully bad. Um... Like Detroit, like Detroit is just horrible. Uh, they have 27 points. Like they are not good at all. Uh, but yeah, so Detroit's the, and they're 12 points shy of Anaheim for dead last in the league. And I feel bad for Anaheim because there are some players there that deserve better than this. And namely John Gibson. I think if there was a team that was looking to make an upgrade, if Vegas could somehow swing it and get John Gibson, that would be perfect. I mean, it would allow Flurry. He would Flurry would openly admit, I think, like, yeah, okay, John Gibson's now the number one guy. But fuck, does that give you a strong goaltending tandem? Especially the crowd, the way they love Marc Andre Flurry. You could prolong. You could actually decrease workloads and really do a true kind of one A one B split, where you do have kind of like a you know a forty seven to fifty two game guy a 30 to 35 kind of game guy and really running that tandem. Uh, As I said, the last team I knew that truly ran a tandem that I can remember off the top of my head 
would have been uh, Minnesota in the early 2000s with Manny Legacy and Dwayne Rollison. And that worked out so well. So, I mean, tandems could be making a comeback. Uh, they, you know, and that's a great opportunity to see that happen. So we'll see what happens there. But John Gibson deserves better. Uh, Jonathan Quick, I, I've heard, could be some trade bait this year, or maybe I've read it somewhere. Uh, that could be interesting out of L.A. if they kind of decide to throw in the towel, whatever it is. But uh, we'll see. I mean, the craziest part is even Anaheim, with their 147 goals against and dead last in the West, is tied for second for lowest goals against in the Western Conference. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets actually leading that one. Connor Hellebach uh, doing an incredible job there. Oh, sorry. I apologize. I, 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 I very much. I was just looking at the wildcard teams. No, they, uh, they're they they're in the bottom tier of the league. I, I do apologize. And I was shocked. Yeah. When I was even reading that out, I'm like, am I reading this right? But then I was like, oh, those are just the wildcard teams. No, no, no. Uh, lowest goals against is the Dallas Stars with 109. And that's 40 clear of Anaheim. So, no, there's there's teams with, that are playing much better, much tighter. Arizona, and that's a big difference there. I think it's Antiranta is their goalie. 128 goals against. So, he's second in the West. Uh, let's see what's going on in the East. Are they higher goals against? Yeah, they're just having higher scoring games in the East. Like, even Washington, 138 goals against. Um out of those three teams with divisional spots is the runaway leader in goals against, but it's their 166 goals for that are providing that difference. And I think yeah, only Toronto has scored more in uh, the Eastern conference than um, Washington. And to put it into perspective, that 166 goals for would lead the Western conference. So that's pretty crazy. Uh, but anyway, and there's three teams here from the looks of it with 166 goals, four in the East, uh, and one with 173. So, I mean, that's just crazy how many goals are being scored in the East. Uh, and again, as they say, maybe defense is what wins you cups. So we'll see how this plays out. But, I mean, even last – well, no, last year it was good. Yeah, defense. Yeah, Jordan Bennington stood on his head. He was good, uh, especially against a, a Boston team that I thought was a team of destiny. But this is twice now Boston's made it to the cup final and disappointed me. Anyway, that kind of takes care of the team talk. Let's see uh, what we're doing in terms of leaders. Uh, we're going to see some crazy numbers put up this year. So we have multiple guys, I guess, on pace for 40-plus goal seasons, if not 50-plus goal seasons. Uh, Ovechkin's kind of fallen off the pace a little bit. I think he'll get to 40, but he's not going to win the Rocket Richard Trophy this year, which will be the first in a little while for him. Uh, but nonetheless... Uh, he's got the leaders, David Pasternak, who there was a lot of talk was going to go uh, 50 and 50, uh, but nonetheless, a slow down a little bit at 36 goals. And then right behind him is Austin Matthews. Now, I think I heard this on Leafs lunch a couple of days ago that since he's been in the league, only one person has outscored Austin Matthews and that's Alex Ovechkin. So again, maybe a changing of the guard there. I've long said Austin Matthews, I think, is the next heir apparent in terms of pure goal scorer leading the league in goals. With that being said, Connor McDavid could do it. Like, Connor McDavid is this generation's Gretzky. Like, he could lead in every fucking category if he didn't want to make teammates look good, too. I mean, he can do it all. He is the best player, and not even by a little bit. I mean, in terms of overall ability, it is him, then probably Crosby in terms of overall what they can do. And uh, 
But I mean, in terms of weaponry, Matthews is right up there. So we'll see. But anyway, uh, I do think Austin Matthews will take over from Pasternak, especially as we get down the second half of the season here. Uh, and Toronto really needs to make a push. Uh, they're going to rely on Matthews to score goals and score them in a hurry. So Austin Matthews, I think, will take Pasternak. It'll be probably Matthews, then Pasternak, then Ovechkin. But again, I've seen games where times when Ovechkin all of a sudden comes from behind and takes over the goal-scoring race. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, wins is a weird one to predict nowadays, so I try to stay away from that uh, as best I can. Uh, in the so I mean Fred, Andre Vasilevsky is leading the way there, but there's goalies right behind him. It comes down to which of those guy, which of those teams relies heavily on their number one goalie that's going to try and make a push for a top spot. Uh, what you're seeing nicely in like Washington is Brayden Holpe's days for doing those numbers in Washington are are gone. So they do now have a nice tandem going on there with Ilya Samsonov, uh, who's leading the league actually in goals against average and is quite honestly probably outplaying Brayden Holpe. Uh, in a way. So we're having a chance there to see kind of a tandem work itself out in uh, in uh, Washington. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, that's that's a story to follow there. Goals against average now, I think, yeah, over two or just over two is kind of where that number is going to sit. Uh, assists, are we surprised? It's Connor McDavid with almost 50 assists already. So he's got um, 49 assists followed by Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, Johnny Carlson, though, is fucking keeping pace uh, with 43 assists. Like Johnny Carlson, it's Norris for Johnny this year, I think, for sure, uh, which is leading me to my prediction for Art Ross Trophy, which is going to go back to Connor McDavid. Uh, he's going to get that again, I think. It's not that Kucherov was a one-off, but that was a career year for Nikita Kucherov. <coughs> um, and Nikita Kucherov... I mean, does benefit from playing with some tremendous teammates as well. And that's something to keep in mind a little bit there. Uh, but Connor McDavid's going to do it already with 74 points. Um, yeah, it's just crazy. Shutouts is always an interesting one uh, for me. When I was a kid growing up, being a goalie, I was always concerned with who's getting the most shutouts. I was like the statistic. Nowadays, you're seeing multiple goalies get kind of around that same number. I think seven to nine shutouts has been around the league and usually typically is but you're getting guys now that nine shutouts in a year isn't just the leader anymore but is kind of like for some guys that's their kind of consistent number they can do six to nine a year like there was a time when i was growing up six shots in a year was a fucking huge number now i do think the number of shots is going down when you consider that they have shrunken the pads a little bit uh those oversized pads were going to lead to some very inflated shutout numbers uh, but nonetheless, you are seeing a situation here where, yeah, you're having a convergence. Guys can predictably put out four to five shutouts a year every year, right? Which is putting them at 50, you know, 60 career shutouts. Uh, so you're seeing that a little more these days versus like, oh my God, this guy had a shutout in that year? Whoa, that's crazy. Now it's like, no, this guy should be having four shutouts a year. This guy can predictably have six shutouts a year. So you're seeing that too a little bit. Uh, penalty minute leaders, uh, Evander Kane. It's a weird one. Again, I, I don't really know why we're going to talk about that. Just kind of funny that he is, um, given that he's also like got tremendous goal scoring abilities as well. He's taken over from Brendan Lemieux, who is kind of more of an agitator. Uh, so I don't know what Evander Kane's penalty breakdowns have been. Uh, but, uh, just, there's a guy who, I mean, imagine if he wasn't putting up those penalty numbers, what he could hopefully be putting up, uh, statistic wise. So, 
Uh, we'll see there. But nonetheless, yeah, I think that's how that's going to play out in terms of some predictions there. Uh, it's going to be interesting, though, I think, as we get into the second half of the season, especially with, um, again, Ovechkin taking that uh, All-Star week off. I think they come out of the All-Star break with the bye week. So getting that extra time off could be big. Uh, you know, at this stage in his career is huge. Uh, to kind of veer off the subject of the NHL, when you look at... Uh, what happened, uh, what Conor McGregor was talking about in a recent interview where he says, LeBron James spends over a million dollars a year on his body and his health. I was spending zero, right? He's like, I was buying cars and watches. Like McGregor knew he was slipping and letting his life get the better of him. And you're seeing, yeah, LeBron James is still one of, if not the guy in basketball and is one of the older guys in the league and doesn't seem to be fading. And again, it's that effort being put in his body. I hear, you know, I watch Undisputed uh, with Shannon uh, Sharp and Skip Bayless. And Shannon, again, you look at the investment he's made in taking care of himself. And when you hear his teammates talk about how Shannon used to have light workouts just as his warm-up for his main workout. Like, his light workout was what they would consider a heavy workout. And, I mean, look at the guy now. Peak physical conditioning. And that's kind of crazy. And I mean, even when I look at my own health journey and being like exercising smart, but training hard at the same time, you know, kind of in a smart, hard way, there is a balance and you really can reverse the clock or slow it the fuck down in terms of your physical abilities and activity and whatnot. And I think that was the big thing is you were seeing that people were exercising maybe a lot throughout certain ages and then would kind of stop and plateau. <clears throat> like it's only now become common sense. Like, oh shit, you can and should be still working out in your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s. I see guys in my gym that are in their 70s working out, 80s working out. You know, and I'm like, fuck yeah. And I remember when I started going back to the gym regularly last year, last winter, these guys were outworking me. Like that was a wake up call. So I think you're seeing that too now and players understanding this and kind of benefiting a little bit, kind of doing some little micro load management. Um, you're seeing them being able to prolong their careers. So in, in this case, Ovechkin, it's that idea of taking the all-star break off. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, for that sneeze. Anyway, I thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. Sorry if it got a little rambly at times. Uh, it's been a little while since I've talked about hockey. There's been a lot that's happened in the hockey world. Um, and I just wanted to give you guys, get an episode out there for you guys. Uh, hopefully uh, guide you along your uh, commute tonight on your way home. Uh, anyway, or maybe your commute to work tomorrow. Uh, I can, uh, you know, you have an episode for that. Anyway. Uh, if you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sunny D. Uh, if you aren't already doing so, uh, that'd be greatly appreciated if you are if you could do that. And I want to thank you so much for the continued and growing support here on the Seems Legit podcast. Uh, really means the world to me. So thank you so much. Uh, take care and bye bye for now.